السلام عليكم ورحمه الله وبركاته الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاه والسلام على اشرف الانبياء والمرسلين محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه واله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا فما بعد my brothers and sisters i am um, i just i just heard dr joel lohr's speech and it reminds me of uh, my own i won't say growing up because i think i was uh, my early 20s at the time in in uh, Guyana in South, in South America and one of my closest and dearest friends was uh, father Thurston Reel an Anglican priest who introduced me to Christianity and uh, most of our time we spent in the Amazonian rainforest on a boat and then much much almost 40 years later right now as we speak i have a friend back in Hyderabad called uh, Eric Alexander who works for the uh, United States uh, Consulate General's office in Hyderabad and he is the deputy or equivalent to the deputy consul general and he is um, he's not a formally ordained Jewish rabbi but he is almost there very learned orthodox Jewish person and Eric and I have these long conversations um both written and verbal about our two different religions and two i think both our surprises we find that the commonalities far exceed the differences to the extent that i remember the last communication i had uh, eric writes to me and says uh, forgive me i am talking to you like i'm talking to a jew so i am speaking a lot of technical stuff theological technical terms which normally a jew would understand so if you don't understand anything ask me so i said there's no need to apologize i take that as an honor that you consider me to be close enough for that and then he says you are my chevrota in my halaqa now interestingly we use the same word halaqa in in arabic so i said what's that uh, i want to make sure that it was something uh, legal so uh, he tells me <laughs> So he tells me, uh, in the Jewish halakha, when you study with a rabbi, and I'm, I'm, I want all my Muslim friends to listen to this carefully, uh, when you study with a rabbi, you have a like a study buddy. So when you when, when the when the rabbi is lecturing and so on and so forth, you listen to all of that, and then you have your own questions and you have you want to you know test out. you don't go to the rabbi i mean there is a level of uh, there's, a, there's a power distance between them the rabbi and the student so you can't just go and say hi rabbi i've got a question you, there's a adab involved with that but you speak to your 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 buddy student and you test off ideas against each other so he said you are like that for me because listening to you talk about the quran helps me to understand the torah better and i think uh, he uh, th- thanks to listening to him i have it has uh, broadened my own and deepened my own understanding uh, of my connection also with allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so i i'm coming from there now what i'm going to say to you uh, is i i've heard a lot about academic excellence and so on and so forth and i of course obviously completely agree but my topic they said for the future so my want to begin with this and say what does future mean to you what is the meaning of future i mean how do you define future uh, is it tomorrow is it 
my career to the end of my career? Is it to the end of my life? Or is it something beyond that? Because as a Muslim, when I say future, I'm not just looking at where my life in this world ends, but where my everlasting life begins, a life which is without end. And if I do something in this life which affects that life negatively, then no matter how attractive this looks, that would be a very bad choice. So when I'm looking at the future, uh, what do I mean by the future? I think this is the uh, thought I want to uh, leave with you and ask you to, uh, to, to think about that for a bit. I want to say this, there is a, one of the things I do is I, I, within quotes, quote. And for those of you who are interested, there are four books of mine which are full of quotes, totaling to over 800 or something. Um, this is one of them. I say that the single most powerful change to transform the world is to move from what can the world do for me to what can I do for the world. I'm saying that because my submission to you is, I'm going to be saying a few things to you which uh, I, I hope will, uh, which I hope you won't like uh, and which I hope will make you angry because uh, in the in the words of uh, Burton Russell, uh, he said there's no point in saying something which doesn't make people angry because they only work when they're angry. I mean, they only do things when they're angry. So I hope you don't have rotten eggs and tomatoes, but, or if you have them, then your aim is bad. But other than that, um, do think about that. It won't make you angry, but I'm just, do, do think about that. My point is, my submission to you is that our problem today is not that education has failed but that education is highly successful. And that is the problem. Because our education today is designed to produce products in a world that no longer exists. And that's my submission to you. My, I, want to give, I want you to give this some thought. So what must be done, which is, in my view, start afresh, a new generation. And the reason I'm saying that is, if I have a locomotive factory, if I'm building railway trains, engines and, and bogies, and I say I want to build something that flies, then putting more money and more resources into the train factory will never create anything that flies. Because flight is a design issue. It's not a resources issue. A train will never fly no matter what you do to that train. But a, even though the engine, a railway engine is several thousand horsepower, not even hundred, several thousand horsepower. But a microlight aircraft which is fractional horsepower, which is less than one HP takes to the air because flight is a design issue, it's not a money issue, it's not a resources issue. And that is what we need. Our education system is of the wrong design. Are you angry enough? Now, so therefore we come to, uh, the previous quote was, uh, you, you, you read that, so I, I don't believe in reading that. I'm saying that what, what should motivate us, what should motivate us is that we, I don't believe we are where we need to be and that should be enough motivation. Now, 
So what does the Quran, let me bring the Islamic angle into it. What does the Quran tell us? What does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tell us about how to educate? And what does he tell us about the role of science in theology? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and these are the ayat of, ayat of uh, Surah Al-Imran. I will recite the Arabic for you. The translation is there. I'm going to begin one ayat before this, uh, just to keep the whole um, the, the set of them. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, A'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajeem. Bismillahir rahmanir rahim. Lillahi man fis samawati wal ardi wa huwa ala kulli shayin qadeer. إِنَّ فِي خَلْقِ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ بَاخْتِلَافِ اللَّيْلِ وَالنَّهَارِ لَآيَاتٍ لِّأُولِي الْأَلْبَابِ الَّذِينَ يَذْكُرُونَ اللَّهَ قِيَامًا وَقُعُودًا وَعَلَى جُنُوبِهِمْ وَيَتَفَكَّرُونَ وَيَتَفَكَّرُونَ فِي خَلْقِ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ رَبَّنَا مَا خَلَقْتَ هَذَا بَاطِلًا سُبْحَانَكَ سُبْحَانَكَ فَقِنَا عَذَابَ النَّارِ It begins with the glorification of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with praising Him and thanking Him and with accepting and understanding that He is the creator of all that exists, all that we know and all that we don't know and He has control over all of it. And then is this ayat where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Verily in the creation of the heavens and the earth and in the alternation of the day and the night, there are signs for people of intelligence. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then described, the creator of intelligence described what is intelligence. And he described it in this very beautiful way. He said two things. The first thing he said is, I want to draw your attention to these two things and I want to draw your attention to the sequence of these two things. The two things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned, he said, who are the people of intelligence? They are people who recognize their God. Who remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala standing, sitting and lying down. Standing, sitting and lying down, the beautiful bayan of the Qur'an which describes every aspect of human existence. Allegorically speaking, in terms of the body positions of standing, sitting and lying down. Somebody who is conscious of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who is conscious of the presence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his life, in every aspect of his life. Meaning that that person is concerned about the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he is concerned about pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and therefore every decision that person takes is geared towards pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I want you to notice that the term Allah used there is and. Allah did not say Those of you who know Arabic, if you take that same sentence and if you substitute or for and, grammatically speaking, it makes perfect sense. Grammatically speaking, it is a correct sentence, but it is not the ayat of the Quran. Allah used and, and what is and then what is say and what and those who think deeply and reflect in the creation of the heavens and the earth. Once again, the beauty of the bayan of the Quran, yatafakkarun. In one word, the Quran encompasses everything that we know and can possibly know under the label, under the heading of scientific discovery, invention, technology, research, development, you name it, whatever you want to name it, that comes under the 
category of yatafakkaruna fi khalqi samawati walad. So who are, who are intelligent people? Those who recognize the creator and then who do research in the creation. Now, as I told you, sequence. First, the creator, then the creation. Second one, not a, either of these by itself. Not people who think they know the book of Allah, but they have no clue about the creation of Allah. And vice versa. Not one by itself. Not either one by itself. This is, for example, in Islamic theology and theological teaching, this is one of our big, big, big problems. Which is that we teach the kitab of Allah, we teach the book of Allah as if there is no creation. And then on the other side, we talk about creation as if there is no creator. I mean, the, 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 this is the problem of fracturing education, whereas education was never meant to be fractured. It was, it was something which was together and which complemented each other. This is what the Quran is saying. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, what is the result of that? What is the result of somebody who recognizes the creator, who then does research in the creation? He says, Rabbana ma khalaqta hadha batilan subhanaka faqina He says, oh our Rabb, oh our Lord, you have not created all of this in vain. You haven't created this without purpose. And then he remembers the future that I talked to you about, which is, where do I go from here? I go before my Rabb, my Rabb. I go before my Creator. And he says, oh Allah, do not punish me. Save me from the punishment. The Quran therefore <coughs> promotes science as a tool to see beyond creation to the hand of the Creator. Now this is in no way meant to discount the importance of science but to help us to understand why science is so important and it is so important because only through science will you and I be able to see the power of the creator without science you can't see this is, a, this is an absolute challenge of mine without science you cannot understand the Quran without science you cannot understand the glory and majesty of Allah as simple as that and that is what the Quran is teaching us. Now what must education do? We are looking at the future of education, academic excellence. Now in my view, education must do four things. I call this the four KRAs, key result areas of education. Awaken the conscience. I think it all has to begin with values. It all has to begin with the heart. Today one of the big problems of our so-called education is that we have, we, we have almost zero focus on values. Where are we teaching kindness? Where are we teaching compassion? I'm not talking about Holy Motherhood statements about we should be kind and truthful. No, no, no. I'm talking about as a subject in a school, are we teaching kindness? And if the answer is yes, then show me how and show me how you measure it. Because if you don't have a, a system of metrics of measuring that, then I don't believe that you're teaching it. Where are we teaching kindness and compassion? Where are we teaching mutual respect? Where are we teaching Respecting somebody who is different from myself. Where are we teaching truthfulness? Awaken the conscience. Number one purpose of education, especially given technology today. As long as you have, have you made children literate, as long as you have literacy and numeracy, you don't need teachers. You don't even need schools. Technology is enough to take care of practically any level of education. 
what you need teachers for is to teach values is to teach morals and that comes by seeing not by talking so awaken the conscience number 2 create an excitement for learning almost globally the first casualty of schooling is imagination and the second casualty of schooling is curiosity dissent is treated as rebellion and punished conformity is raised to the level of a virtue and what comes out is little boxes with the date of manufacture on the forehead that's how your classes are organized tell me for example what is the reason why all 5 year olds are in one class and all 6 year olds are in the next class and all 7 year olds are in the next class what is the reason i am an educator for the last 35 years so awaken the conscious second one is create an excitement for learning joy of learning number 3 is what do i do with this what is the application of this learning i was asked to speak at a a, a, a very big uh, science college in india it was a girls uh, institution there were about 4 500 of them and then all the teachers and all that so i asked um, in my speech i asked them i said uh, how many of you can somebody tell me what is archimedes principle this is a science college they they studying physics and chemistry as well so i said archimedes principle uh, there was dead silence So I said, "Well, I mean, I'm not blaming you. I mean, you are in, you're doing masters and so on and so forth. I'm asking you a question, which really, I mean, at least I learned Archimedes principle in secondary school or something, or maybe the tail end of primary school. So maybe you forgot. Then one girl, she put up her hand. So I said, 'What's Archimedes principle?' She told me, 'Displacement.' So I said, 'Fantastic! Everybody give her a big hand. We did that.' Then I said, uh, 'So in real life, where do you apply this?' And that was it." So I said, now if we have an examination here, then this young lady here, she's going to get 100% in the examination. She's passed full flying colors because she knows the right answer, right? But does she know? Or she does not know. She has no idea about the application of that. I said in 2015, I was on something which was 200,000 tons of steel in weight. in the inner channel of the uh, of uh, alaska which was doing what it was doing thanks to archimedes principle a ship i was on a cruise ship a 15 stories high principle of displacement flotation no idea about application so schooling must teach excitement for learning an application what do i do with the stuff i'm learning that's the reason why let me ask you a question how many of you know children no students who read their textbooks one day after the exam is over yeah exactly and if they are indian kids they will sell them and make money out of them i mean they <laughs> <laughs> that's about the only good the textbook does for you right so you are reading this stuff for years and years and years and the only thing you can think about is go sell it to the you know we call it the raddi man <laughs> the, the chap who say and and make some money out of it zero value why 
The last one by no means the least is the social skills basket. How do we deal with each other as human beings? And as I told you, if I am educating, then I want to see a clear plan with metrics measurements for every one of these things. Don't, I'm not, I will not accept if I tell you, and you should not accept if I tell you, that you know it just happens. No, 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 nothing happens. It has to be made to happen. How do I know it is happening? What is my measurement? So the difference between collecting dots and connecting dots, right? This is the, this is the issue of, of understanding of what happens in the name of education, what should happen. Collecting dots and connecting dots. Um, I, I should have said this in the, in the beginning. Uh, those of you who are taking pictures of the screen, you don't need to do that. I'm going to give you a link with the, all of these slides, uh, plus the audio of this thing, so you can go and uh, listen to this again and get some more, get angry again once again. You know, you keep doing that. Every time you you feel happy, listen to this and it will take care of that. Um, now, that's the whole issue of collecting dots and connecting dots. Because if we want success, if we want to do something, people must understand why they are doing what they are doing. Not just collecting a bunch of information. Collecting dots actually in today, given the, te the given technology, is completely un unnecessary. I mean, zero, no value whatsoever. I mean, I can Google whatever I want. Uh, you know, as long as Google is alive, I mean, I don't think we need to study anything, right? So. So therefore, foundation of values. And why? Because values drive behavior and behavior drives results. But you know the problem with values? Values must be inculcated, they cannot be legislated. This is the uh, issue as far as values is concerned. Let me give you an example. I went to one of the best schools in India, uh, the Hyderabad Public School, and my principal was a man by the name of K. Kruvela Jacob. Uh, Kruvela Jacob was incidentally what is called in India, in southern India, there is this uh, sect called Syrian Christian. So they are orthodox, orthodox Catholics, but they are from, from old Byzantine Christians, very different, uh, different kind of rituals. So Kruvela Jacob was the principal. Now one of the things that happened in the school was that to teach us, uh, it was a boys' school, so the whole bunch of boys. Now they, they were trying to get us, you know, stop behaving like little animals and they were trying to teach us some manners and so on. So one of the things they uh, did was that once in a month, every class, uh, was invited to the principal's residence for lunch with the principal and his wife. Now the principal residence was a huge big bungalow with a big veranda and then it had a big lawn in front and then there was a little hedge and behind the hedge was a fruit orchard with all kinds of fruit trees. So it was the turn for my class, so all of us uh, got there. It so happened that day Mr. Jacob was a bit late to come for lunch. And Mrs. Jacob was a very wise woman. She didn't want 20 kids inside her house without her husband there. So she said, stay outside. So we were all, uh, it was a nice day. So we were all, you know, people were on the lawn and so on. And then I saw in the back, there was this guava tree. There were several guava trees and they were full of guavas. So I and another friend of mine, we went up those trees and we started plucking guavas. Now this is uh, the equivalent of trying to steal something out of the Kaaba or something. You know, I mean, this is like... So there is a crime and there is a crime. Now stealing fruit from the principal's garden is like... 
So anyway, we, do, we were doing that and in the course of that, Mr. Jacob came and he walked past all these other friends of mine who saw him and did nothing. And uh, he obviously he saw us in the, in the trees. He went inside the house and then the next thing I know, we hear his voice saying, boys, come for lunch. And I almost discovered gravity, I mean, you know, from the top, top of this tree. So anyway, I got out of the tree and when I went there, what do I see? I see Mr. Jacob standing on the veranda with two big baskets of guavas, on, uh, one on either side of him. So as we came, uh, he says, take one. So I thought, you know, I'm going to die. I may as well eat a guava and die. I mean, you know, this is, this is the last moments of my life. So I picked one. He said, take one more. So I mean, are you sure? Take one more. So I'm standing there with two guavas in my hands. He says, you know, that's better than climbing trees, right? I mean, he could have said anything he wanted. I was saying, yes. I mean, there's no way I was disagreeing with the man at the time. But the point is that that was it, period. So here we were, we had committed this major crime of stealing from the principal's house and getting caught by the principal himself. But the man respected our dignity. He did not humiliate us. He did not humiliate us. I'm talking to you today almost 50 years later, five zero years later. This story is about 50 years old. And it's life for me like it happened yesterday. That's what I mean by <coughs> values are inculcated. I say this all the time. Children listen with their eyes, not with their ears. Not only children, everybody. People listen with their eyes. They don't care what you say until they see what you do. So how does this work? We create schools which teach to students needs. Calvin's father, I think, uh, should be voted king of the world. It would be a much nicer world if he had Calvin's dad as the, as the ruler of the whole world. And here is he's saying, here's Calvin. And, uh, and how, many, any, how many Calvin fans here? Fantastic. So there are two kinds of people in the world. Calvin fans and those who don't know Calvin. Those who don't know Calvin, please go and do something about your education. Learn Calvin. Um, so now <laughs> Calvin is a, is a very, very, very bright kid, but he hates school. So the father is saying, now what is wrong with you? Why don't you? He says, dinosaurs, you love dinosaurs. Everything that is to be known about dinosaurs, you know. But why is your school report card so bad? So Calvin says, because they don't teach us about dinosaurs. Right? As simple as that. So how can we make education exciting for children where they love to learn what we want to teach them? So what must be changed? We must change everything. What we teach must change. How we teach must change. Who we teach must change. And most importantly, how we test must change. The way we test today is a crime. Seriously. And I'll tell you why. <clears throat> Four foci in schools. School must focus on four things. Number one, who am I? The student must understand and believe me, when I'm saying student, I'm saying I must first understand who I am to be able to teach anybody else to think about who they are. So the first thing that must change is who am I? Number two, how does the world work? Number three, how do I fit into this world? And number four, how do I deal with others who also share this world? 
the writing in the box there, I said education must take us and raise us above socialization. I'm sure all of you will agree that the reason why there is poverty and oppression, the reason why there is cruelty in the world is not because people don't know that that is wrong. It's not happening because of lack of knowledge. It's happening despite the knowledge. The question to ask is why? So what are we doing as far as so-called education is concerned? Every one of those people who is doing what they should not be doing went through a school. And they went through a lot more than school. Why? So who am I? From an Islamic perspective, connect with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala jalla jalaluhu. Connect with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Ethics, morals, values, as I mentioned, who am I has to do with understanding yourself, understanding your strengths, understanding your weaknesses, understanding how I can give the best that I can give. Who am I has to do with integrity, who am I has to do with honesty, who am I has to do with my values of compassion and kindness, my curiosity, who am I has to do with my imagination, who am I has to do with my willingness to stretch myself and go beyond whatever framework that I am, I am supposed to fit into. So all of this stuff. Creativity and imagination, the two casualties of schooling are the two things that we need the most in this world. Creativity and imagination. Number two, how does the world work? All the rest of the stuff, the scientific method, inquiring, history, geography, social sciences, I asked somebody, why is, how is it that, uh, what is the secret of uh, the British Empire? How did the British, the, the British people, uh, how did the English actually, I mean, this is before they called it the British. So how did the English, sitting on a damp little island on the, on the top of Europe there, how did they rule the whole world? And they used to say that the, uh, the sun never set on the British Empire. So somebody quipped and said, uh, that's because even God didn't trust them. So he made sure the sun was always you know, on somewhere. There was never any darkness. Uh, so the point is that, how did that happen? And it happened because of something to do with botany. Now what's that? The oak tree. Now why is that? Because it was the oak trees that allowed the British and the Portuguese and the Spanish to build long ships, to build the ships which could, which could cross the big oceans. The Polynesians were on the sea centuries before that. The Arabs were on the sea centuries before that. But what they didn't have was the botany to build they didn't have the trees. They didn't have the wood to build those ships which could cross big oceans. So all of their boats, the Romans, were, the Romans had a navy. That's 2,000 years ago. Augustus was the first one who created, uh, who created a navy. So all of that happened, but they used to hug coastal waters because they, their ships couldn't cross big oceans. But thanks to shipbuilding, thanks to that, these people were able to build ships which crossed oceans. 
and they charted the path of history for the next many centuries. Secret of that is not in politics. Secret of that is in biology. Geography, social sciences, so on, so on, so on. Now, I want, to look, I want you to look at the last one here. Citizenship, entrepreneurship, freedom, poverty. What is the meaning of citizenship? We live in pluralistic societies. We live in communities where we interact on a daily basis with people who believe differently from us, who look different from us, who eat different from us, and so on and so forth. How do we not just, I don't even like the word tolerance because people like to say we should be tolerant. I said, no, no, you don't tolerate dark chocolate, you love it. Right? We need to appreciate difference. Tolerance implies dislike. I tolerate something, I hope you're not tolerating my speech. I mean, if that was the case, then it means that. <laughs> then it would mean that you really dislike it, but you are putting up with it because you don't know what else to do. So tolerance implies basic dislike. I'm, not, I'm saying, no, 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 we don't even want to go there. We want to appreciate the difference. We want to really understand and appreciate that difference of the other person. That to me is citizenship. To, to me, citizenship is not going just to vote. Going to vote is one of the ways in which it is symbolized and that indicates the willingness to participate in government. But citizenship is a lot more than that. Entrepreneurship, for example. One of the things that at the bottom of this, I'm going to say that all the stuff I'm telling you in schools can be achieved in seven years of schooling, not 12. So you got five years more of schooling. First of all, it'll reduce your schooling cost by five years. It will reduce also the profits of school, but it's okay. Uh, but schooling costs by five years. All of this can be achieved in seven years. And then what you do is you create entrepreneurs. You create people who will start businesses, who will, won't go and stand in a, in a line to get a job. They will create jobs for themselves and for others. Now, how to do all of that, I, I won't tell you now. Don't worry. So you will still get your dinner on time. But all of that is doable by my... Uh, other hat is uh, I teach people how to make money, so I can tell you this. Now, uh, pluralism, pluralism, so on, freedom, poverty. Now, poverty, for example, I am within quotes against charity. I think charity is a very bad idea. Because charity operates from the principle that I am doing this to please, to get some brownie points and give some money to some people. Really, they don't bother me. I mean, you know, if they are starving, uh, it's okay. Well, I, I want to be a nice person, so I am giving something. I am against that. My point is, poverty is like cancer. It kills you from inside. So it's not, you are not disconnected with it. It is yours. So I am against charity because I am saying we don't need charity. We need participation. We need people to say, I am going to ensure that I spend significant time and money and energy and, and knowledge in ensuring that poverty is removed. I will do radiation, I will do chemo, I will do whatever to ensure cancer is removed because otherwise it will kill them and it will kill me. 
That's what, what is poverty? Poverty is where somebody cannot contribute to the economy of a country in which they are living. They are still dra drawing from it, but they can't contribute, not because they are bums, not because they are negative people, not because they don't want to contribute. They would like to, but they are not able to. So what must you do? Make them able. And you know what the benefit of that? The benefit of that is that it will just make you more humongously wealthy. Because the more you raise that poverty level and take them out of poverty, the size of your economy increases, you've got more buying power, you've got more discretionary income, you've got more spending, and the people who are producing will only get wealthier. Now, if you are allergic to money, that's not my problem. But I'm saying that if you really want to make money, ensure there are no, pe no poor people in society. It is doable, and as I said, I will tell you how to do that if you are interested. Not today, later on. And for free, incidentally, I'm not trying to sell any consulting service. For free, but do it. That is why it's so important. And this must be drilled inside in schools and taught how to do that in school when the children are in school. How do I fit into this world? You know, the big debate about global warming. We had that young lady who came in a ship across from Sweden and she spoke and so on and so forth and somebody said, well, no, she should have got the Nobel Peace Prize but she didn't get it and there are all kinds of articles about why she didn't get it. I'm not talking, I'm just saying, how come it is so difficult for us to understand this? Why is it so difficult for us to understand this? Because I don't know how I fit into the world, as simple as that. I do not understand how I fit into the world. So I'm thinking that, you know, a couple of species in the Amazonian rainforest, most of you haven't even seen it. I lived there five years. Some species in the Amazonian rainforest have become extinct. Yeah, okay, so what? Some, you know, one cockroach less. Actually, they won't be because they, are, they will survive long after all of us are gone. The only thing that can survive a nuclear holocaust is a cockroach. But that's not how the world works. I'm involved, you are involved, we are connected whether we, whether we recognize it or not and the time to recognize that is right in school. So how do I fit in? Trusteeship. I'm talking about ecology, conservation and so on and so forth. But other than that, trusteeship, am I accountable to somebody or not? This is what Islam teaches us. There's so many hadiths of how somebody mistreated a cat or mistreated a dog and so on and so forth and the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for that. What is, what is that hadith trying to teach us? Trusteeship of even those things which we normally have been schooled to consider as unworthy of our attention. So no, there's nothing that is unworthy of my attention. I have been sent for a purpose and that purpose is to spread goodness around me not only to the human beings but to everything. To the grass, to the trees, to the insects, to the birds, to the reptiles. To, there's, a, there's a video of mine on how to handle snakes. So somebody says, how is this Sheikh Yavar is talking about how to handle snakes? So I said, well, why not? You want to get bitten? No. So, listen, so look at that video, how to handle snakes. Right? I mean, the, the whole point is that this is something that we need to teach. Trusteeship. How am I and how is my existence creating goodness around me in whichever field that I am in? Ji. 
that was the earliest line. Yeah. Right. No, no, that was, a, that is even worse. You're going backwards. Next. Right. Jazakallah. Now there's only one thing I want to talk about here. And that is how to disagree without being disagreeable. Adabul ikhtilaf. The manners of disagreement. And you know where that must start? In schools. By encouraging, I'm not talking about accepting dissent. I'm talking about encouraging dissent. As you know, there will always be a critic, as you can see here. <laughs> encouraging dissent. Because dissent helps us to think about things that we either forgot to think about or we don't like to think about. I mean, everyone is wedded to his own theory. So if somebody disagrees with you, and if you are able to listen to them respectfully, remember I'm not talking about agreeing with them or accepting what they are saying. No, but listen, because the logical thing is if I really and truly want to disagree with you, what must I first do? Listen. Otherwise, I don't even know what I'm disagreeing with. So the first thing I need to do is to listen. Now, I learned this lesson in a very hard place. I learned this lesson in five years of working in the mining industry in Guyana, where the general, the Guyanese Mine Workers Union, communist union in a communist country, the president of the union was the minister of labor. So if, I, if some matter went up to the, uh, for arbitration, the minister of labor would be the arbitrator, and guess who he is? He is the president of the union. So it was like... And then from there I went to India where I worked for 10 years in the southernmost part of India which is Kerala where again CPM, CITU, communist unions and very highly militant. So I learned this in a very hard place which is how to disagree without being disagreeable. It is doable. I am standing in front of you alive and well. I didn't get killed. We need to teach this how to disagree. Encourage dissent. Show how to close the loop. Caring, compassion and kindness. I mean, I think I began with that and I want to, uh, we are almost at the end of this, I want to also come to emphasize on that more. Very, very, very important. Kindness is the root of all goodness. We see this in the seerah, in the, in the life of Rasulullah of the Prophet we see this focus on kindness to a degree which is sometimes, I say, subhanAllah, ajib, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, He gave us a standard which, within quotes, sometimes it doesn't even make sense to me. How can somebody be kind to someone else who was not just nasty to him, but literally caused him harm? Not once, but multiple times. Yet the man is kind to him. That is, the, there, is, there is a reason for that. It's not just brownie points. There is a reason for that. That is the kind of atmosphere if we create, then we will have people taking care of each other. That is what is lacking today. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. <clears throat> Why are there people who are, who are so depressed and people in depression and people who feel completely alienated and we've got neurologists here. I mean, two of them are looking at me here. Why, why we have a society, generally speaking, today, globally, I mean, you know, in the, in, in the so-called good old days, we sitting in India, we used to say, oh, but you see the West. Today I said there is only one thing, which is the West. In the East is also West, and in the West is also West. 
Right? There's no, there's no east and west. There's only one west. Ali people are alienated. Parents are alienated from their children. Siblings are alienated from each other. People are alienated. Why? Because of this lack of compassion, lack of kindness. Is the fact that somebody has no food to eat does not only it doesn't only stop me. It doesn't only disturb my sleep. It doesn't do that. It doesn't even stop me from eating until I have, you know, I have to eat now tablets to digest my food. Because I've overeaten, I'm getting heartburn. Compassion and kindness. Absolutely fundamental value. And as I said, testing. Today, by and large, we test only one thing which is random recall memory within a specific time frame. How many of you have, see, have seen or known, maybe it's your own children, definitely your students, who would have gone into an exam, the exam is from 9 a.m. to 10.30 a.m. and this kid is sitting there doing this test and there is this question and the kid knows the answer but he can't think of it at that point in time. Bell rings, he takes this paper, is taken away from him. As he's walking out the door, he remembers the answer. Have you seen this? Have you, do you know this happens? So now tell me, that kid passes or fails in that exam? What? Fails. But does the kid know or he doesn't know? He knows. So you just failed somebody who knows. Why? Because of a lousy testing system. No other reason. You're not testing knowledge. You're testing random recall within a specific time frame which to me is complete and total and utter nonsense. The only reason you're doing that is because that's the easiest thing for you to test. Not because it is the best, not because you are. That's the simplest, the easiest thing to test. So we test that, we pass kids. And, we, and remember, depending on the kind of exam that he or she was writing, it probably opens or shuts doors to them for their future. It's not a simple thing. For them, it's a mat literally it's a matter of life and death. How many of you know children who have committed suicide because they failed an examination? But you teacher, you school owner, you got your full salary. Your school made a profit. And that is why I say, the teachers must pass or fail, not children. That is what will force us to create tests. I, believe me, I'm not against tests. We must have tests, we must know. If I'm teaching something, I need to know whether I'm coming, communicating, is it happening, not happening. I'm not against tests. I'm saying this insane methodology of testing, which is global. Illa mashallah, except where there are people who are not doing that, all power to you. But by and large, it's global, it is insane, it is criminal. And we are responsible for the deaths of those children who are committing suicide because of this testing system. May Allah protect us and forgive us. Last one. Values of the school. Number one, mutual respect. Give and take respect. Teachers to students, teachers to teachers, students to students, school to the community. I always ask this question. You have a school in a place. What is the effect of this school on the community? In a wealthy country like this, in a wealthy state like this, you don't see too much of that. But go to other places, you have this fancy school and around that, 
are poor people who are living in slums those slum people are coming and they are cleaning your toilets and they are working in your kitchens and so on and so forth their children do not even have education but your children are studying in the school i've i've recommended this i i am advisor to the association of muslim schools in uk and south africa i've recommended to them over and over again i said for every one of your children who you send to school send another deprived child to the same school make it as part of your policy that i will not admit one one child you bring your child for to me bring one more child then only we will give you admission and you will pay full fees for both that is the point mutual respect no punishment i know there is no corporal punishment in this country or at least there should not be but i know also our theological institutions most of the teachers they use a very high tech tool called a stick have you ever seen especially the darut tahfiz the hifz classes have you ever seen a hifz ustad without a stick i mean everybody has two hands and two feet a hifz ustad has two hands and two feet and a stick hey <laughs> eh? you want to beat the quran into him i mean if he doesn't like the quran you will hammer it into him la hawla wala quwwata illa billah does it produce a does it produce a love for the for the word of allah or hatred for the word of allah no punishment you punish crimes you don't punish mistakes no punishment no corporal punishment no no punishment how can you then teach still teach children that is also what i will tell you but not now openness enquiry no question is illegal no question is illegal let them ask whatever they want and reward them for asking questions that you cannot answer because that's how i learn if i if that child ask me a question and i don't have an answer for it and i go look for the answer myself and he is really helping me right ownership responsibility all this now i am saying that i said all this can be achieved in 7 years of schooling and in that 7 years teach the children a marketable skill and set them up create a um, create a, a venture capital fund doesn't take a lot of money your idea there the other day in the brainstorming thing uh, dr mathin uh, we create a venture capital fund create a um, a lab for startup ideas and when the child comes out of school after 7 years of schooling each child will be capable of setting up a business of his or her own i'm not talking multinational companies i'm not saying don't go to work by all means go to work go to go to university and so on and so forth but learn to do things with your hands and teach them how they can convert that into a into something that employs them and has the potential to employ others so they are working in the community not just coming out of that let me ask you a final question in most of our places we finish the child finishes 12 years of schooling at the pre primary and so on to that you were 15 years 15 years of full time schooling if somebody does something for if i tell you i have studied the quran for 15 years full time i haven't but if i tell you that what does that make me a scholar of the quran right so you got this child now who's done 15 years of full time schooling at the end of that what can that child do by themselves if you say to that child okay now you graduated and you came top honors graduation class, standard 12 grade 12 whatever you want to call it and you say now go away for a month 
Don't go stay with any friends and relatives and so on. Just go away, take care of yourself for one month and then come back after one month. What do you think will happen? That's one child you can strike off your list. Right? Why? Why? 15 years of schooling and the child is completely unprepared to face the world. We call that education. And teachers make money out of that. The teacher got a full salary. Schools made money out of that. We call that education. You call that responsibility. You call that accountability to who? You get the point I'm saying? Yes? No? I want to say this. What if net worth <coughs> meant moral value of character instead of monetary value of possessions? You know what Rasulullah changed? He changed the definition of net worth from Abu Lahab to Abu Bakr anhu. That's what he changed. He changed the definition of net worth. High net worth individual, HNI, right? Who is HNI today? High net worth individual, one who has more money. I don't care how you got it. As long as you have it, high net worth individual. In the time of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, who was the high net worth individual? Abu Bakr. Radiallahu anhu. Ali bin Abi Talib, radiallahu anhu. What was his, what was his money wise? What, what did he have? But somebody whose name today we take and we don't, say, we don't just say Ali. We say Ali radiallahu anhu. We don't just say Abu Bakr. We say Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. We take his, their names with respect because they were high net worth individuals and the Prophet ﷺ changed the definition of net worth. That is our challenge. <clears throat> so therefore, that's my model. I, have to, I went to business school, so I have to, teach, I have to pr prove that. In business school, they teach you two things. Drawing triangles and drawing uh, circles like this. So that's proof that I went to business school. Uh, <clears throat> success is where opportunity meets preparedness. Passion, return, and expertise. These three things together create for us the formula of success. Last slide. Happy to be here. <laughs> Thank you very much. I great honor and I appreciate it. Jazakallah khair. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Thank you. Thank you.